Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the Marketing Minds at DoYouConvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today, as always, is the ad doctor, Andrew Peake. Episode 213 with Jesse Suggs. Hey, hey. Oh, man. Welcome, Jesse. Yeah, welcome, welcome. Thanks for having this me. Will, this will be a test to see if Jen listens to episodes that she's not on. But yeah, I got kind of excited when she said that that she had a conflict and that you would be joining us this week. Here yeah. I am. <laughs> we'll see. If Jen, Jen, that was just for Jen. Uh, the rest of you just are listening in. Also, I have a suggestion, Andrew. Uh, we might Ooh, need to put this to okay. a, a vote at the committee. But I, I know we've talked about changing the intro before and people haven't liked it. The oh, man. Has been, Don't change it. Okay. However, I think we switch to a cold open and just pre-record that thing that we say every time. I don't that, think because we just had an amazing five, 10 minute conversation about goats yeah. and um, investment properties and all kinds of fun things. And no like one got to off, hear it. Off the cuff yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. We have, uh, well, let's go ahead and get started. And then it could be <laughs> enter that sound clip. Yeah. And then we're actually started. Yeah. yeah. It's like on the news. If you watch the news, I don't watch the news. From what I remember, when, you, when I used to watch the news, they would kind of banter a little bit after and before. And they're just, you get to know them. It's all, you know, you're really not getting to know them, but it's like five, 10 seconds where they're just, oh, 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 oh. yeah. So yeah, we'll see if the like committee that. approves that decision on to story time. And Jesse, do you got anything to start off with? Well, heck yeah, I do. I want to talk about <laughs> my goats. We were talking about it before this, but anytime I get the opportunity to talk about the crazy animal lady that I am, I'm going to take advantage of it. So, you and Jen, it's like you attract each other. Is, is this why you actually work together? I think, you know, I don't know, but she asked me about it this morning and she said, you know what? I think I'm going to get goats now. I'm like, <laughs> you have enough dogs. Like let's stop there. She needs to just train but, her dogs to eat grass and then and she doesn't <laughs> do it. She's got all the old ones. <laughs> yeah. I recently got goats. They're awesome. They're really cute. They're really small. And the guy who owns the farm, he has like this miniature animal farm. So all small animals, which I didn't know they were all small. So he comes in and he's looking at our yard and he's like, what do you want them to do here? And I said, I want them to clear all of this brush out. So I'm on a couple of acres. And he said, you're going to need a lot more than that. And so now I see a lot more goats in my future. So when I started thinking about the goats though, just like I always do in my online sales mind, I relate everything back to online sales. And I, wait, so you're saying I'm you're about to give here. us a, a, an analogy using goats related to online sales. This is you're, great. I'm going to give right you an show. analogy. And you have two right goats, program. just make sure you got yeah. two goats. All right. Analogy two, time. For now. For now. For now. Hmm. Yeah. But, more. Well, actually one day last week, I looked out my window of my office and there it stood outside of the gate that it should have been. And it's just like staring at me. And this has nothing to do with what I was going to say, but I was like, that's how people feel about like people coming to their model homes, just like staring at them through the window, like what you doing out there. But when it comes to online sales, I was thinking, you know, these goats, when I first got them were terrified of me, like, don't get close to me. Don't talk to me. Don't try to even feed me. And that's probably how our customers feel sometimes. Like you, they supply their information and it's like, I'm going to call you. I'm going to email you. I'm going to text you. I'm going to blow your phone up. And we're like, whoa, calm down. And so it's all about building the rapport with the customer or with the goats or yeah. whatever, because now they come around and they love me because everybody loves a good online sales specialist. So that's my little story okay. about goats. 
You, f- you feed them. You earn their trust. You gave them info that no one else did. And sure yeah, enough, you give them all the sweet feed. Are these the yeah, ghosts that right. faint if you run at them? No, they those make me sad. I can't <laughs> do that. Is that, that like their defense <laughs> mechanism? They're like a like a possum. They flop I think over. there's a lot of goat analogies. Even just the fact that just like lead volume to goat ratio, right? You need you might need more goats for your yard brush. if it doesn't get yeah. cleaned out. Also, I'm pretty sure this goat salesman is selling you because my my brother has a lake house about an hour and a half away from here. And there's an entire small island that they call Goat Island because it's it's not big enough to build a house on and they just needed something to take care of, of everything on the island. And I think they only have three, maybe four goats for a whole island. So it's amazing. I, I, we I had a literal cool. island called Goat Island. So I live in Columbia, South Carolina, and we have the largest man-made lake. So underneath the whole lake okay. is like an entire town. And there was an island before they filled it up with water that had a bunch of goats on it and it was called goat Island. So now hmm. that's where everybody goes and ties up and hangs out. There you go. Yeah. Man, that's some South Carolina sounded stuff there. I know that is some country stuff. <laughs> that is some country stuff. <laughs> My favorite part. Oh, man. And I don't know if we just talked about this on calls with builders or on a podcast episode was like two days after the goats arrived, Jesse, you were on Facebook asking if anyone had like gently used large plastic playgrounds or something <laughs> it's like this it's is a little playhouse a little slide pool yeah let me tell you i got one you did well, no wonder they love it. you fisher price yeah yeah nice of course. yeah they're like babies little babies in the yard you should have called so sweet you got the goats a year too late we finally got rid of all the large plastic objects from our garage and i couldn't be wow. happier like you, said, you want <laughs> yeah. more kids no not if they come with large plastic objects that require storage in a garage uh, that is a good half our garage is right on things and whatnot yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. andrew That's you great. got anything this week yeah just a quick one so i've been working on a project it's been a lot of fun it actually has been enjoyable building a website i guess like yeah building the, the new marker proof award site going through that which i've built plenty of sites before but usually it's on a platform that like over on this, like I know how, how it functions. We're not limited. This, we're, we're going a little bit different than what those are just because those solutions wouldn't work before. But like, I'm like four steps forward. I'm like, sweet progress is there. And then like, mm, I actually got to take like 10 back to go another, say six forward. So I'm like, where am I getting? I'm finally making progress today on it as far as, I guess all time is technically progress, but it's like I, the learning curve, not of doing, I know what I want to do. It's just like, oh, that tool within this is not going to cut it. But until you start using it and you have hours in it, you don't realize until then you're like, oh, shoot, or other words, like this is not going to work. Mm. And let's <laughs> let's restart going backwards over here. Then like we'll keep going forward. So, yeah, I'm just saying that to put in there. Even I struggle <laughs> with a lot of new technology thing it does. But I think the point is like for me, I get like, I don't know if you get this way, Jesse and Kevin, like you get the same like emotion or feeling in your brain. I don't know if that makes any sense whatsoever, but like you, I, my brain feels a certain way when I'm learning and struggling, but I'm making progress. I don't know if that makes like, it's not like a headache. This is really weird, but like, I, I feel this way. So I'm like, cool. I'm like in the zone. I'm in the whatever. What's that word word? Oh, all the programmers use flow? it. Flow. I'm in the flow. There we go. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, it's been two hours. Shoot. Didn't even know that happened, which is good. Cause I'm like purely focused on the project. But I think a lot of people when GA four comes around and it's actually being used, that will be, a lot of uh, brain feelings with people switching from like, oh, this is nothing at all, like I used to, 
do yeah. um, earlier. I had, a, I had a call earlier with um, Dennis and Molly from O'Neill Interactive and we were just going over GA4 and we were just talking a lot about that. It's just as far as like, so what are people used to using? I'm like, not, not this. And they're like, yeah, it's different. It is definitely different, but we're getting all that settled up for everybody. So it's not this giant headache once we go in there, but it is going to be quite a bit different. I'm glad that's how your brain works though, because most people respond to that learning uh, process, like touching a hot stove. And it's like, oh, I don't like that. Get, get away, like change yeah. learning and adaptation. And that's one thing I thank the Lord that he wired me to. I love that stuff. Like it, it makes that's me good. cause, because it's kind of built in. It's this feeling of uh, I, no one else is going to do this. Like no one else is going to try this hard. No one else is going to push through it. And that to me gives me a feeling of, and again, I, li- I lie to myself all the time. It's a great mental trick. I'm just like, and you know what, Kevin, after you learn and push through this pain, it'll make everything else easier. And in some ways it does, but also the lie is that there's always another thing that comes around. You'll be doing and harder things that are harder, I guess. I think it just levels up like what difficulty it is yeah. in there, but yeah, there's no one else to do it. I think that's kind of like with this project. I'm like, well, who else is going to do this? Mm. It's cool no that one. you don't no mistake motion for progress either. Like, you know, what's working mm. and what's not working after you do it. So you don't continue to waste your time. That's you know? true. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah. You're right on that one. Some people, yeah, they'll dig on the same thing and try to force something to work that will never, ever work. And you're like, oh, just use this thing over here. Are you kidding me? I would have been done like a week ago. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But like if they get so fixated on like, I think that's another, yeah, another good trait. Like if you've, you've already lost that time, mm-hmm. like and in a project, if you have to restart, the sun cost. Like, the sun co- it's gone. That time is gone forever. Like you, you can't hold on to it and like add it to like, oh, I think you're not keeping that time. That makes no sense. But like, it's gone. So just restart. Like you're not losing anything. At least to me, you're not losing anything. I can't be like, oh, I lost eight hours. Like that eight hours is gone forever. Well, I think the interesting thought around that is it it explains why it's so critical to decide from the beginning if a project is worth taking on or not, because sunk cost fallacy, remember, says I've already put in 20 hours, so I've got to make this thing work. And instead of making this thing work, we just have to keep thinking to ourselves, is the, is the potential solution or opportunity on the other side of this worth the pain or not? Sometimes it's a question of tools. Are we using the right tool? Most often though, People get really excited about a potential opportunity, thinking it's going to be very easy to arrive where they want to arrive. And that's where you just don't go into it, counting the cost up front and saying, this is probably going to, I think it's going to take five hours, which means it's really going to probably take 40 hours. Is it worth 40 hours? Or in the case of Salesforce implementation, is it worth one and a half million dollars? For a lot of companies, the answer is yes. For most companies, the answer is no. So I think really understanding the, the opportunity you're doing and, and the potential cost around it really helps kind of sort through that and, and take more time to figure out if it's worth solving the problem or not yep. and then get going. Like you said, you, the, the time's going to pass anyway. Definitely. I just got back um, yesterday from the Builder 100 conference and uh, it, it was fantastic. Uh, they did, nice. Zonda always does a good job putting on the event. It's at the Ritz Carlton and Dana Point, which isn't b- bad either. Um, mm-hmm. However, with inflation, the room rates, I, th- I heard as a speaker, I, I had a discount, but 
I think it was like a thousand dollars a night pre-tax <laughs> for this resort. So probably like twelve resort fee, yeah, parking who, fee. Like who knows? Who knows? Um, you but smell it's, the it's air a fantastic, fee. Like, fantastic place. Uh, thanks again for for Zonda letting me uh, moderate a, a panel on data, and uh, thank you to the panelists that were on there: you know, Linda May, uh, Linnea Chapman, and Alan from Brookfield uh, Properties, uh, their chief experience officer. But there's a couple of things that I wanted to talk about from that experience. First was, and I'm sorry if I embarrass you or say something I shouldn't, Lindsay, but I, I, Lindsay Haltom from Homes by Tabor was there. And she has been, I believe, in the industry for seven or eight years now. And she came to, which means I think she came to like the second Deconvert Summit that we ever put on. I think that about works out on timing. Anyway, I, I yeah. just saw her uh, interacting with other marketers from, from builders that were, you know, significantly larger than hers. And she wasn't just holding her own in conversations. She was like on it. And so I just pulled her off to the side and I was like, Hey, Lindsay, do you ever think about like yourself seven years ago? And she's like, uh, I, I don't, she didn't know where I was going at first. She was like, no, like, never. And then she's to, like, oh yeah. Now and then I go, it is, it is incredible how far you've grown. And then she kind of smiled and she was like, yeah, do you remember like the first time I came to the summit and I was like the dog that wouldn't leave your side and just kept asking questions. And they, you were probably like, this was so stupid. Why, why does she keep asking these questions? And I was, I said, no, I, like this is the payoff of all of that is you're now sitting in a room with, with other marketers, many of whom run uh, marketing for, you know, the top 15 home builders in the country. And here's this builder that's in Oklahoma city and Tulsa uh, led by a, a marketer and online sales manager who's just killing it. And so just a word of encouragement for, for, I know so many younger people, not necessarily in age, but in experience in the market are, are in the industry right now. And I've, I'm sick of talking about my own experience of growth, but to, to watch people like Lindsay and, and how far that she's come, I just wanted to give her a shout out. So yeah, there, there's that, uh, which was really fun. Awesome. The second thing was the number of, for me anyway, extremely embarrassing uh, and humbling conversations that happened in front of me. Like, I don't care. I've said this before in, in blog posts. Like, I don't care if you talk about me uh, behind my back. I'd actually prefer that. <laughs> but, uh, the number of the number of uh, super fans, I guess you would call them, uh, people that we work with, people that we don't, people listen to the podcast uh, who came up and said very, very nice things uh, to myself and other people. There's one particular interaction. I won't say their names, but uh, a builder that we actually technically start working with in May. Uh, Jesse, you've done some pre-work with them on getting an online salesperson hired. And the owner, the marketer, uh, and some, one other person from their company were at a table for breakfast. And another gal sits down who's a director of marketing for a 2000 home year builder. And I mean, it was, I, I'm sure I was turning all shades of red because we haven't even really technically started working with them. And they're like, Oh my gosh, you don't work with them yet. You have to like, you're going to kick yourself six months down the road and you haven't started <laughs> this process. Funny. What's wrong with you? And she was, she was already interested. And so it was again, thanks. Thank you. But let's just all keep playing the game where we pretend in front of me that no one listens. Cause it makes me nervous about like being more responsible with what I'm saying. <laughs> so <laughs> Great power comes great responsibility. The other, That's right. if you don't follow Allie Wolf on LinkedIn and Twitter, I'm not sure why not, but you should be. She, and I, I don't have the slides. So I, I just, there's a couple things that she talked about in her economic update that I thought were really interesting. One was talking about, there's you know, this debate going on right now about whether student loans should or shouldn't be forgiven. 
discounted, whatever. And we're going to avoid that topic entirely. Ooh, that's a good, good she idea. Just, <laughs> she yeah. just said that if uh, she did some research or someone did research and found that, you know, people who had student loans over the last two years haven't had to make payments and there's been no additional penalty or extra uh, costs associated to that. It's just been basically paused. She said, if those people on average um, save that money and put it towards a home, they would have saved an additional 6% towards down payment or over 6% towards down payment. And so it was just another point to remember of internally as an industry, we keep saying, oh my gosh, how, how much higher can prices go? Oh my gosh, interest rates are going higher. But there's all these little individual things that can adjust a person's particular affordability crisis that, that we sometimes might overly put on the consumer. Again, getting on the road a lot more recently, a number of salespeople who are expressing that concern of like, I'm selling the same house I was selling last year in the same community, but it's 150 grand more. And I don't know mentally and emotionally how to, how to have the same type of sales presentation when I know where this house was valued a year ago. Remember, a lot of people get gifts for down payments. A lot of people have student loan forgiveness. A lot of people have switched jobs. Allie also showed a ton of data about relative affordability, people changing geographic locations. Um, you know, so you, you think of someone moving from a, a relatively affordable home in Southern California to even a, a market that has appreciated in price like 40%, like in Austin, Texas, it's still in comparison it's like 35% less expensive uh, to, to buy a better, newer home. So we just can't put too much of that on us. The, the other thing, which I'm, I'm sad to report I am correct on, or it looks like I'm going to be correct on, is uh, I think the last three or four episodes that I've been on the podcast I've been talking about, you know, just be careful because I think interest rates could easily get to 6% by the end of May. And I took a screenshot on the flight home on CNBC that they were showing rates were already nationally as an average above five and a half percent. And um, the 10 year treasury is actually on higher since then. So I haven't checked, but I, we, we are rate rates are certainly going higher. And the last thing there is just don't sometimes if you've not been around as, as long as I have uh, or others have the fed just also increased their interest rates by 0.5% yesterday. And that is not necessarily a direct correlation to where mortgage rates are going to go. Yes, the Federal Reserve, and, and when they change rates, it does impact the 10-year uh, Treasury note and 30-year mortgages. But it's not a one-to-one -one correlation, especially right now, for lots of reasons that we won't go into because this isn't an economic podcast. Um, but I, I just wouldn't be surprised to watch rates continue to creep uh, to six and above six before maybe they they flatten out a little bit. But I don't see them coming down in the near future necessarily either. So what does that mean? It means that remember, at the end of the day, like I said before, price is relative uh, to, to everyone, value is relative. And also at, at the end of the day, for, for non-cash buyers, it's all about the payment. When that conversation needs to happen and does it, do we need to start showing more payments in ads and on the website again versus um, just showing the pricing? Is that something that happens early on in an online sales conversation or not. Again, this is the episode to talk about the uh, DYC best practices. I just wanted to throw that out there of remember that at the end of the day, affordability means do I have enough money to put down that's required and what is the payment and does that work for me? I think it's interesting that you were talking about Lindsay and her growth and then started talking about interest rates because <laughs> I think 
confidence in what you're doing makes is power. Confidence is always power. And the more you know, the better you're going to present information or the better you're going to communicate with others. And so in online sales, we are getting that objection of interest rates and we're folding like a deck of cards because Mm. we don't know what to say. Nobody knows what to say. So I want to encourage everybody to just continue to do their due diligence because in online sales, we always talk about objections and we're used to the, I'm just looking or I'm not quite ready or whatever the objection is, this is another objection. So we have to learn how to overcome that objection by knowing what you're talking about. And you can't be confident without doing your research. Um, And so communicate with your, you know, in-house or preferred mortgage consultant or talk about what options are for your buyers. Because like you said, Kevin, it is really about the month to month and being able to say, well, you know, I know you're hesitant on that, but when you map it all out, it could be X dollars per month more. Uh You know, it's, you're paying a hundred percent interest on a rental rate. And and not just that, but remember on rentals and it goes up every year. We talked about that on a previous episode, the uncertainty around renting in today's world where the price is going up 10, 15, 20% year over year on your rental. Can you afford to stay where you want to be versus going to a more moderately, moderately um, amenitized or a value apartment or a different neighborhood in a different part of town at the end of the day, given, given a slight stretch of a hundred, $200 extra a month, or the absolute uncertainty of not knowing where you'll be able to live and at what cost year to year to year. The consumer right now wants any amount of certainty that you can provide. I mean, look at like, even, um, can I get to my destination location for vacation? Why why are people willing to pay ridiculous amounts of money right now for airfare or for hotel is because they want the certainty of knowing that they have a seat on that plane. They could roll the dice, right? They could show up and maybe get a, a, a cheaper ticket, but they want the certainty of knowing you have a seat. And so you look at your, you look yourself in the mirror and you say, I don't like it, but you don't have to like it. You just, do you want that seat on the plane or not? And that, that is still where supply and demand are off balance. And we'll do, I guess, an extended story time. Uh, the other thing I think if for owners and, and division presidents that may be listening if I were in your shoes, and this is this is worth absolutely what you're paying to get this this advice or thoughts from me, but if I were a division president currently, uh, I talked to a small builder today, and I said, "How many unsold homes are currently under construction uh, for a builder that does you know roughly 120, 140 homes a year?" And he said, "50." And I said, "You might just want to start having the conversation with everyone now of can we start selling those maybe 30 days earlier than we could? like right now? They may say not." Don't sell it until cabinets are installed or drywall or whatever phase you're currently in. You might want to creep that 30 days forward because again, overall supply and demand means that uh, home building seems to be in a pretty great place long-term still. However, there could be some turbulence in the short term if rates keep going higher and a bunch of homes hit the market. It, It will smooth out, but you don't want to be in a position where you're in freak out mode because you suddenly have 35 homes uh, about to be completed and rates just hit, you know, six and a half, which again, as much as it sounds crazy, when I say six and a half rewind two months ago, if I would have said five and a half, you would have thought I was even crazier. So it's better to get ahead of that a little bit, I think right now. Yeah. And we've talked about new buyers entering the market, like they're not used to a number. So it, 
to the point of like, it's just, does it fit the monthly payment that they can afford based on any debt they have, their income, all those sorts of things. I think all this kind of calls for some educational content is an absolute must, especially that could then support the questions that the online sales team is getting like, Hey, interest rate. I'm so concerned. Okay. Go here to the site, homebuilder.com slash rates, you know, something really quick that they could go to and it could do the breakdown on like, what is five, 5.2, 5.5, six looks like on the monthly payment. It's, and they'll be like, Oh, I'm not, I think they're, they're making it more dramatic because they're seeing headlines, headlines. It's all like doom and gloom versus like, Oh, now again, if, some, if someone has an existing mortgage at 3%, yes. that's going to be a more difficult conversation. Um, but Jesse, I got something actually really fun that I want to tell you that already happened. And then you can get mad at me or say, good job. Um, yeah, let's depending hear on if you agree or disagree. <laughs> Okay, so we had a call with an online salesperson who is currently also serving as a marketing director and smaller regional builder. And um, we were talking about needing to increase the quality of traffic for a particular community. Um, only two communities of their nine or so are behind sales plan. But um, in particular, even though they're behind sales plan, the feedback kind of, I think, from the OSC part of her brain was we need more quality in the people I'm talking to, less quantity. I said, okay. And we looked at pricing and the community was kind of in the, in the low to mid fours. And we talked about maybe in ads, pushing the price up a little bit higher to help with quality. Then the next statement was, oh, we are also, by the way, reducing the number of options and, and features. We're kind of going more bare bones in our product offering. So maybe we should also change out all the pictures in the ads to show uh, less attractive, less pretty homes to more closely match what it is the customer may be able to purchase um, at the community. And and then we started talking about a third thing. I don't remember what it was, but all of those would have been restrictive on quantity and focused on quality, meaning able to afford no objections around product, kind of be able to sail through the process. And, And as we're talking through that, I have their online sales tracker pulled up. And I noticed that for the month of March, uh, this individual had over 200 leads, again, OSC and marketer currently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so I understand why she's thinking I need to simplify my life right now. But 150 of those, roughly, or 140, I think, were VIP leads, not for the two mm-hmm. communities that are struggling. And so I said, time out, let's talk through this. Maybe we only do one of those things that adjust quality in, in favor of quality versus quantity. But I'm really concerned that if we start doing all three of these things, the next time we get on a call, you're going to say, so I had 10 leads for May and that's not enough. (laughs) And just really saying, let's look at what are these VIPs communities. And then one of them in particular that had the most leads, she's like, we don't, we don't know when it's going to come. We don't have any pricing product might have to change. Like I have nothing to tell anyone about this whatsoever, but it still makes her email ding. You know, she still gets calls on it. So we said, let's, Let's pause that until there's some light at the end of the tunnel, but, but let's make sure that we, I think, I think everyone's still in the frame of mind of just keep going towards quality because there's so many people beating down our door without realizing that that's kind of taking care of itself somewhat because of interest rates and where prices have gone. And I feel like we still need to go back to like, what is the minimum number of leads from your website, not counting coming soon and other stuff that gives us enough like at bats with the process to, to make it work. So agree, disagree, anything you'd add? Yeah. 
I definitely agree. Um, however, it kind of depends on the type of lead that comes in. Uh, we're hearing more often than not now that yes, the number of leads coming in are lower. Everybody keeps saying slow, 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 when really it's just more normalized mm -hmm. than what we've experienced in the last two years. Um, but really the quality of them are higher than they've ever been before. Um, because it's those buyers who were like, ah, prices are high, interest rates are going up, I'm going to wait. And they continue to see them go up and up and up. And they're like, okay, I can't wait any longer. Now's the time. I should have really bought a year ago. And so the people coming either back out or the people who had paused their search are more viable. And so I don't know if that answers your question, but I will say that no matter how many VIP leads that you have coming in, if you're not you know, consistently staying in front of them, you're, it's not going to be a lead to you in the long run anyways. Right. And, and so. if prices keep going up, they may not be worth more. Some of the other things that, that came out of that conversation was there's also this um, low-end multifamily thing that's being installed at the front of the community. And, and so a lot of this was just, we're not going to uh, fix it all by lowering the amount of leads. Part of this is your job as an OSC is to take people to a certain point and we're going to have to let the salesperson also have at bats because they're going to have different objections that if they only see two people from you and it's, and it is a community that's kind of struggling, they're, they're going to need to talk to 10 people to figure out what is the right thing to say and how to overcome those objections and move things along. So again, it, it's a unique thing that we still thankfully don't see a lot of, of a community where everyone felt like it was overpriced. The spec level is going down. Uh, there's, there's issues from a development standpoint that are, that are happening. And my point was, we're not going to fix any of this by just reducing the number of leads by 50%. It, that's, we have to figure out some, some solutions. Um, but I, so I guess the takeaway there is instead of only reverting to, we need higher quality leads. If, if you're only able to get a minimum amount Sometimes you actually have to go the other way. And that's, I guess, the, the struggle that I was looking for feedback is a lot of salespeople and online salespeople, it's counterintuitive because you're saying, I need to talk to more people to understand how to over, like, kind of like what you said with interest rates, Jesse, if we don't ever have anyone call with an objection of interest rates, we're never going to get better at overcoming that either. Right? Like you yeah. need a certain number of repetitions, but, but it, yeah, I guess it's going to vary because sure. if you're overwhelmed, and your builder is, has sales caps, then it's a completely different conversation. <laughs> it's just if you Yeah, and it depends have, on how much you know about the community. I mean, you can ask all the questions in the world, but if the information that you're, they're telling you doesn't line up with what you have now, but what you might have in the future, you, you don't really know what to say to them. So mm -hmm. it's kind of a happy medium in between the two, but you certainly need at-bats because the objection of one person isn't going to be the same for the next. Right, right. Yeah. So just be alert on, on mental models or psychological frameworks, whatever deep word you want to use uh, to describe it. They have to be nimble right now because as things change, you can't revert back to the same playbook even from three months ago, mm -hmm. but, but stay, stay current, stay nimble. Yeah. All right. Now a quick word from our supporting partner, Open Door. Open Door partners with home builders across the country in over 2000 sales offices and has helped generate more than $2 billion in new construction home sales. That's billion with a B. As a builder sales associate, you can provide a flexible close date to help customers avoid double moves and mortgages by closing any time from 14 days to nine months and offer a complimentary two-day late checkout 
from their current home to help alleviate the stress of moving. Go to opendoor.com forward slash do you convert to learn more about how you can partner with Open Door. And that actually, before we get to the news, one more story. So I went to dinner with some folks from Open Door as well as builders at the Builder 100 conference. Open Door is a sponsor of that event. And I thought it was awesome. The um, Alex, who we had on the program, Andrew, uh, and interviewed, mm-hmm. he gave a toast, as all good hosts do at the beginning of dinner. Of course. And and I, I'm not going to try to duplicate what he said, but he, he essentially said, like, I have the best job in the world because when I talk to a builder, the initial reaction is, how much money does Open Door want from me? He's like, we don't want any of your money. We just want to help your customers get rid of their home, let us purchase it make things smoother, but there's no cost to participate on the builder's side. There's no cost, um, to be, you know, you don't have to be exclusive. And there's so many things that the, the, that builders are assuming are necessary to be part of, of, to be an open door partner. And he's like, this is just the greatest job ever. Because once I explain that we don't want, we don't want any money from you, we don't want anything yeah. from you. We just want to help your customers sell their home and not have to worry about uh, move-in date. And I didn't realize this. Apparently in the Open Door uh, customer account, like for mm-hmm. them to change their closing date with Open Door on their current home, as long as it's within that okay. time frame, you just click a button. And so I was talking to another builder. That's insane. Today. Like, yeah, let's do it next week. And he was Very like, cool. Kevin, the number of conversations, like I'm getting really thick skin having to call people up and say, you're, you're moving, your close date has been pushed back by two weeks. And I was yeah. like, well, if, if, they, if they had sold their existing home to Open Door, the conversation would have sounded like this. Hey, I'm really sorry. We have to move your closing date back by two weeks. So what I need you to do is, is go in your account uh, with Open Door and just change it. All right. Well, have a good rest of the day. Hopefully we'll get you in soon. Like it, <laughs> yeah. They don't have to leave their house. Their whole world doesn't have to change. So yeah. Opendoor.com forward slash do you convert. Check it out. All right. Uh, now on to cool. the news from do you convert.com. What is truly considered an appointment by Mm. Jesse? You wrote this. Appointment is a community visit for a qualified lead that is set up for a specific day, a specific time, at a specific location, and with a specific sales representative. So what I'm taking away from your intro here is it's not general, it's specific. (laughs) Tell tell us more. Yeah, it's funny because it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with having to dig in and qualify. I think, you know, we've been so used to whether you've been an online sales specialist for years or you've only been used to the market that we are in, uh, no matter what it is, we get stuck in our patterns and the ways that we've done things. And over the last two years, it's either been, we've been overly saturated and we're kind of just getting people in the door as we can, high volume, fielding them and doing the best that we can without hitting all five areas or just saying our agents out there. Uh, go ahead and head out there between two and five. Or, you know, your realtor can unlock it. Uh, the, there's a lockbox on the model home door. And I'm hearing that more and more often. Um, and now that things are really shifting from even when I wrote that blog to now, it went from overly saturated to mm. starving for opportunity. And so in the opposite way, we're not qualifying them enough because we are just trying to get people in the door. So yeah. it went from one to the other. And I just wanted to focus on maybe the fundamentals that we haven't seen or had to do in the last couple of years when it comes to qualifying and what really is considered an appointment. Um, What types of appointments are there? It used to just be, of course, you walk in or you, you meet with somebody on site. Now it's virtual appointments and phone appointments. And 
all kinds of different things that you can come in. Um, and then we're looking at metrics too. And as we do our yearly or quarterly uh, metrics for online sales, we always do data integrity, right? So we make sure that all the information is relevant across all the builders that we survey. And one question that people who are not in our survey or um, that don't follow the same protocol that we do is that one lead equals one sale, which is one opportunity because the numbers start to get skewed. So mm-hmm. online sales specialists might have a lead, a real lead. They're like, I got one on the hook. I finally have somebody who can purchase that's pre-approved, that's willing to deal with these interest rates. And I'm going to get them out to two or three different communities to see what's best for them. Those aren't three opportunities for a sale. That's one opportunity for a sale. So it should only be considered one appointment that can turn into one sale. Um, Utor leads. That is correct. That is correct. Utor leads, like what... What are these? Do we count them? Are yeah, they online I, I thought opportunities? That, I, I love the fact that you addressed that because I feel I think that's something that a lot of I mean it was just I I view it anyway as courageous on your part to, for taking a a stand or having a viewpoint on the topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so yeah, you tour or any um, self guided tour platform. Of course, you tour is our favorite, but um, what what's the, your perspective there? Yeah, I, they are lead. I mean, they are coming to you in some way shape or form and whether they are convertible or not, it's still an opportunity for you to connect with them and get your company's name in front of them. Whether they're ready to buy now, they purchase with somebody else, they are likely going to move again at some point. And so being able to connect with them, they're a lead. They are a lead, but you're saying they are not an appointment unless you're scheduling a one-on-one visit with a sales rep. So that might mean that a sales rep is going to uh, meet the customer there during their U-Tour visit. And as long as that's clarified up front. Um, but, but we've got to get them in touch with another human. It seems like is kind of your. your yeah. Base. So if they do a U tour and, and it's now in the opportunity bucket for an online sales specialist to try and re-engage with them and say, how did your self tour go out there? Do you want to sit down with somebody and get some additional information? Um, and if again, going full circle back to the beginning, if you do reset a specific day, specific time, specific location, all of those, that is an appointment because it came from a lead that never got the opportunity to connect with somebody. Yeah. I I love it. Beautiful. And and here's, here's why I think um, some, some thoughts that really back that up and support that idea is if a customer, again, my my perspective, this is my perspective is like if a customer doesn't want to interact with someone who can help them make a purchasing decision or answer specific questions, back to my kind of three-step framework is they're still in the research phase. They're not actively shopping. Now, again, let me clarify, if you're sending them on a U-Tour visit simply because you don't have a salesperson available but the, or, or the salesperson refuses to meet them because they've already sold everything out, that's a different case. The customer may actually be in the shopping phase. But if the customer is requesting a U-Tour or you're offering a U-Tour because of hesitancy of I'm not ready to meet with someone yet, if they're going on tour, it's because they want to go do research. They're educating themselves. They want to touch, feel, and see things. But mm-hmm. I would argue they're not actively shopping until they're ready to engage with uh, a human being at some level. That, that, that's just totally my, agree. my perspective on that. Yeah. And and now um, I'm going to insert a, a mini ramp. Uh, not a ramp. That's a, that's a ramp is a West Virginia <laughs> vegetable that's a cross between a green onion and garlic. 
uh, grows wild on the hillsides. That's not where I'm going. I'm Sounds do a good. I rant. think. Oh, it's terrible. Smells the oh, whole. It's terrible. Up the whole house. Green onion, it, garlic mixed together. You cook Sounds it in delicious. Greece and eat it with cornbread. And if that's your thing, God bless oh, you. But just don't do like it in my house. I'm from the south, so that sounds great to me. Yeah, I like cornbread. No, it's got to be sweet, though. You and my wife can eat all the ramps you and want. Dick. Just do it somewhere else, please. Um, <laughs> but when I, one thing that I did pick up on at the Builder 100 was that a lot of the marketers, uh, or not 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 even the individuals, culturally their organizations are still built around this idea of it is impossible to try and interact with everyone who wants to interact with us. And I just think that is the, perhaps again, this isn't personal to anyone there. It's, it's obviously cultural as an organization. It's, it's incredibly short-sighted and I'll give you a little example to try help. Like it, it, it makes sense that, that, I mean, what's your favorite consumer brand um, in terms of shoes or, or clothing or food or anything Oh, Either one of you. I don't think I have favorite. Nike. Okay. I just so, bought a pair. Okay. It, it, and actually, Amazon you know, all the time. I love that you picked Nike and this isn't planned. Do you know how many employees Nike has worldwide to sell no. shoes and sports apparel? You know 50,000. 73,000 employees. Oh, okay. That was close. Well, that's pretty close. You know how many employees Amazon has? I mean, they just hired an extra 100,000 during the pandemic to give you some idea of how many people are involved in these huge companies that we want to compare ourselves to as builders. And you're like, how many, how many employees do you have? And you sell a thousand homes a year, you know, well, in the corporate office, we've got 18, you know, it's like, well, of course you're struggling. Mm-hmm. Anyway, if we take Nike, it is reasonable to assume that everyone who walks by a Nike shoe and asks a question about it to someone at a store may not get a personalized, thoughtful answer. It's reasonable to assume that every person who goes on nike.com and creates an account isn't going to get a personal phone call or a video email. I understand because we're talking about millions of people in a week. Yep. So, so I understand why those programs are built with the assumption that we can't connect with all the customers who are interested. I'm sorry. I don't care how big you are as a home building organization. There is not an excuse to say that everyone who fills out a request for information or makes a phone call should not be able to talk to a human being. And I would argue it is not even that expensive in comparison to some of the systems and tools that you are using. It it just, it's so incredibly short-sighted to say the biggest person, I mean, no wonder realtors are still um, incredibly important because guess what? We've done the studies. Realtors are going to call you back on average about three times faster than the average home builder will. That's why they, that's why they're needed because they will be responsive. Um, so I, I just, it really struck me when I heard a couple conversations about um, using technology and automation and all those things and referencing large companies like Nike, um, like Apple, et cetera. Yeah. And I'm thinking one, you really have no concept of how expensive, how much money those, those companies are investing in the relatively still rudimentary automation that we're talking about. And two, the number of human beings that, that they are still using to make those systems run and function and to meet the customer where the customer wants to be met. And then we're anyway, and, and rant, I just human beings still today. I mean, we have a, I know of a builder who just hired a junior online salesperson um, and, and their base salary is $45,000. And that person could not be happier to answer the phone and email people with minimal happy to work on the weekend. Like yeah. 
that that is such an inexpensive way to provide a better experience to increase every metric that you want to increase. And yet we're talking about how to make sure that if someone looks at the Stanford floor plan, that the emails and website and everything are personalized and the hundreds of thousands of dollars for those systems that people put in. I just, wow. Okay. Baffling. Yeah. But I do. And, you know, I help with interviews with hiring, build the bench and things like that for companies. And um, I was interviewing somebody and I said, you know, what has you kind of considering the industry or this company in particular? And she said, actually, it's funny you asked that because um, just a year ago, I purchased with their company and the impact that they're, I didn't know it was called an online sales specialist. And honestly, at first I thought it was the realtor because of how quickly they got back to me. <laughs> um, but once I realized that there was somebody there dedicated to providing a, good, a high level of customer experience to me, and that it was something that I personally got to experience, I want to be able to provide that to others. And so that was her like gateway into wanting to get into this profession. So it really is the human side of things makes the world a difference. Yeah. I mean, 100%. we were talking about percentage of, of increase or percentage of impact on your organization. Again, all of that stuff is great. We work with builders on automation, on chat, on, on even bots at times. All those things, though, are going to be so minute on the impact to your organization compared to their expense and time to roll out as adding an additional one to two to three people and getting them up to speed. It is not even close. Um, this yep. rant's more fun. We've got articles, we'll get to them. But here's the other thing I thought was really interesting. Uh, another conversation from the Builder 100 was about rating of leads in the system. And in particular, automated lead scoring systems are, are being used. And at first everyone was kind of like, oh yeah, that's like, what's yours? What's, what's your, what's, how, how does your system automatically rate people? Which again, let me back to the like, the reason you're having to give people a lead score based upon their interaction with X, Y, and Z is because you're saying, I don't want to talk to everyone. I only want to talk to the best, which is screwed up. But the second thing is I have yet, and the challenge is open. Uh, maybe it's not even challenged, but every time I've ever looked in a CRM system where a builder is using lead scoring by the system, not a human, by the system, like, sh let's look at these leads over here who were scored an 80 out of 100 and they've been around for two years and haven't been responsive for six months. And then let's look at this lead over here who has a score of 20 out of 100 and they just purchased last, last week. Like how, at the margins, even if you're skeptical about what I'm saying, even at the margins, you, you are going to lose sales by responding or interacting with people based upon an automated lead score metric or algorithm. You, you just absolutely will. Similar, Andrew, to how we say, if you create the constraints on your digital ads to be too small and too specific because you think you're smarter than artificial intelligence and all the data that's available to make the ad perform better, you are not helping. You are hurting. Yep. Um, so I, think, I was going to say, I think so many of this comes from other industries. Let me try to apply it to us. And then it just doesn't, just doesn't translate. Um, mm -hmm. like other industries who might have significantly more leads than we have. We might be like, oh, we have tons of leads, but like think about like what a, like someone who provides rocket mortgage, how many refi leads they get per day. Yeah. Maybe Do you know how moment, many people like, are sitting go. in, in commercial buildings around the about country that work for rocket thousands. mortgage who do like, nothing but answer and respond instantly to all those requests? Boom. Like, 
it's crazy. Or like in e-commerce, they kind of lead scoring could be, that's not leads because they're not calling them. But if you add to cart, that's kind of, they have these other signals that are directly you know, correlated to, uh-huh. or they translate to a purchase. We don't have an add to cart and creating an account isn't the same. In my opinion, it's not the same. Not yet. Hopefully, it's, hopefully companies like only and others will, will make that we'll get more there. relevant, but we're not, we're not there yet. If it, I think it has to fit the research phase more or shopping, uh, maybe or for, the I don't shopping know. phase, meaning there has kind to be in between. more. Realistic, like I guess shopping, yeah. auction pricing, adding things, you know, pricing out the same floor plan five different ways. But that, but yeah, like if I viewed 10 floor plans, just means I want to look at 10. Doesn't mean I'm a better lead than Jesse, who's like, I just mm-hmm. want two floor plans and I know exactly what I want. These other eight are not for me. I'm not going to bother with them. Yeah. I'm not uh, the better t- lead. Tim Sullivan from Zonda moderated the Builder 100. By the way, shout out to Tim. He, he is absolutely the best moderator. In our industry, not even close. And apparently he's taken lots of classes on like improv and um, speak like it. And it shows he's just, he's incredible um, at it. But when we wrapped up our session on data, he asked us all like, what's the one metric we wish we had? And my answer was that I wish, I wish that there was um, a series of metrics or a series of data points that proved that a customer had a true intent to purchase that would make a lead scoring or intent based system work. However, it just, it doesn't yet. In fact, um, in, in my entire career, um, Mm -hmm. Andrew, I can only think of one thing that, that we know, um, gives a much higher degree of certainty that someone will ultimately become an appointment or a sale. And the only, and the, and, and this is it, it is if they have viewed the community page. So if someone goes to a builder website, goes straight to a floor plan and becomes a lead, or go straight to a quick moving home and becomes a lead. If they don't at some point go through the process of understanding the community, because shockingly where be. community descriptions and a many and all that stuff adds value to the perception of what that thing is. Yeah. Um, we, we've done, we did a study about f- three years ago with a builder in Charlotte and found that it was a 50% increase uh, in, in effectiveness of, of what that lead was going to do when they came through, if they went through that community page. Yeah. But that's it. That's the only one that I can, because other, I mean, if someone the only other option at, is, uh, you'd have to be able to track an individual on all their devices and other websites like, Oh, Andrew's looking at mortgages now. Sweet. Oh, and then he, it's just not possible. Oh, then he forwarded this to his wife or like Jesse did this and it's things off your site that give the enough picture to be able to like, this is a good lead or not. And that we just, we can't do that. Like there's no way to be like, oh, look, they're filling out mortgage applications over here or they're mm-hmm. getting, oh, look, they downloaded their tax documents from their, their payroll site or something like, no, that's not, that's not possible. But yeah, that makes sense on the community, on the community page. Cause that's where you are. And I don't want to say homes are the same builder to builder, but if you're looking to build a house, 500,000, 3000 square feet, four bedroom, three bath or five bedroom, whatever. Right. The differentiator the community is, the community. is going to be the, to me, I think the community is going to be the bigger variant then the floor plans might be a little bit different. This one has like the dog house underneath the stairs. That's pretty cool and cute, but that's not going to make or break compared to like when someone pulls into that community, they're like, this is it versus. Yeah. And that, that actually one. Jesse from, from an online sales perspective, if someone calls about a particular floor plan or a particular quick move in home, um, I'm just wondering your perspective on how important is it to review or clarify that, the, the customer understands the community that that home is in versus saying, okay, glad you're interested in this one. Let's get you out there. If that's relevant or not, is, is it only from a marketing side and not from online sales that talking about the community is, is really important? 
Yeah. Just as much the community in regards to like the look and feel and the amenities is the location, of course, of the community. Um, because I think one thing that we shy away from is the why behind the community of choice. Like, is it the amenities or is it the location closest to hospitals? Is it the location closest to their work? Is it the schools that they're interested in? And once you figure out the why behind it, you can play not that mind game, but you can really use that piece of information to your advantage in encouraging them to envision their life with your builder um, and hone in on the things that are important to them because no one person is the same. So I think community is huge. And that's something that we don't ask about. It's more, what do you want your floor plan? How many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, location of the rooms, price point, time frame. Um, so it's huge to yeah. dig into that. If you had asked my wife um, what's important to you, she probably in years past would have never said, I want a sidewalk. There has to be sidewalks in the community. She wouldn't think to yeah. state that. But if you asked her questions related to what are you looking for in a community like X, Y, and Z, she would she would absolutely tell you, well, don't, if the community doesn't have sidewalks, I have young kids and I'm not interested if there isn't. So I think I think it's a great point. Yeah, I agree. Yes. All right, on to our first news article from searchengineland.com. Google is rolling out conversion and migration tool for Google Analytics 4. You can use this tool to import your Universal Analytics 3 goals into GA4. So this isn't a complete all-in-one solution to migrate over, but it, it is allowing you to, to pull in your goals that are already been set up in, in Universal Analytics into GA4. Right, Andrew, anything yep. else we need to... Um, I think the big one, because I think there's a lot of people listening, if you're working with O'Neill, don't listen to this article. That's okay. a disclaimer. <laughs> like, ignore it. Yeah. They will take care of you. Um, if you're not, then yeah, you definitely need to understand it. Um, definitely have conversations with your developer, especially if they're managing Google Tag Manager. Um, hopefully they will take care of you. That sounds that sounds like I'm instilling fear. Um, hopefully they have a plan. <laughs> they should have a plan yeah, because J4 is quite a bit different than than um than Universal think, Analytics or GA3. This is why it's Although, such a sure fun big, time to, big to ones will. be doing all this is Anytime things change, and this is one of those times, there's a first mover advantage, meaning the first organization or yep. organizations who get this down the right way first, you get, I don't, you don't know how long that advantage will last, but you will at some period of time have, have an advantage. And that's why it is fun when these kind of things uh, do change is you get to have an impact if you're one of those people who does it right out of the gate. So um, yeah, and, and when we say, if you're working with O'Neill, interactive, um, don't listen to it. It's because this isn't going to necessarily optimize everything for the best way for it to be done in GA4. It would just make sure that if nothing else, you have goals in GA4, Correct. <laughs> not necessarily yeah. all of the best goals and, and the ability of, of what you have set up for tracking, um, can, and probably should change some with GA4, but again, we'll, we'll get more into that. Yeah. It's, down the road. it's pretty cool. It's very confusing. We were talking about that quite a bit earlier today with, with their team. It's just so different from universal analytics that everyone is used to. And but it seems like it is more customizable that it could fit builders better. Mm -hmm. If you're able to get it to the point where it fits builders better. Yeah. I, the, the skeptical part of me, and I was talking about this at dinner with someone this. is yeah. that Part of this additional complexity they're adding in, I think, is also a hope that a whole bunch of companies say, you know what, this is harder. Can we just hit the auto button with you, Google? And Google will say, yes, we'll optimize all yeah. of your ad spend based upon uh, you know, a, a, a GA4 implementation that's suboptimal. We'll absolutely take more of your money. Just let us take control of it. So, you know, and, and then it 
supports a lot of their new campaign types are created mm-hmm. in Google Ads. Yep. If we could give more events or data to Google Ads, then their campaigns should be able to do better. Like, so, 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 so the black pit industry, that you could fall into ones. here would be yeah. every page view, if that's the only event firing and tracking. Correct. That would be awful. That would be bad. All right. <laughs> um, up next from realtrends.com, uh, Zillow is testing major changes to their premier agent program. Uh, they're to pilot invitation only flex model in two additional metro areas. Um, so there's a lot going on with Zillow right now. Rich Barton actually did an interview, yeah, um, just yesterday at a, a, I think the event's called T3, where he hinted, you know, Zillow's pivoting towards a, a consumer super app. So the idea is um, like super apps in other countries where you might use it to buy things and communicate and um, do many things within within a single app. Their hope is. <laughs> that they'll be able to take all the eyeballs going to Zillow and be able to do, say, you don't just use Zillow when you're shopping for a home, you use Zillow throughout the transaction process. Um, and one of the things that he hinted at, this is kind of breaking, according to people who were in the room, was that Zillow may even, as part of that super app, partner with a co- companies like Opendoor. He didn't mention any names, but co- partner with a company like Opendoor to allow consumers to sell their existing homes directly to that platform. And that's just, that's one little slice of how radically um, open Zillow is to trying many different things right now. Yeah. Because that's something that where they were before were direct competitors and now they're saying, we're not going to be in that space, but we still understand the consumer might want it so badly that we need to partner with someone to give that as an option. Or I think they could be thinking it as, so this big thing, agents will be charged 20 to 35% of their commission. Yeah, and hold, hold on. You said, say, say, say that part again because that's kind of important. I don't know why the realtors are not blowing up. <laughs> Agents will be charged 20 to 35% of their commission. I don't know why every real estate meme page and Facebook group that has realtors in isn't exploding right now. Um, but that's why I see like what you just said with Open Door. Like, well, who cares if Open Door buys it? We'll still get some type of commission based on that sale mm-hmm. if it comes through Zillow. They're probably thinking we will might make more profit per. <laughs> per transaction that way yeah. than we did with Zillow offers without this huge liability on our, on our books. So of whatever the, the trade-off is, was. Hey, one, you cannot just say, I want to be part of this program. You have to be invited. That's because yeah. Zillow wants to make sure that only the most responsive, best consumer experience uh, oriented organizations are able to be part of the flex program. Because there's no cost per lead, right? It's only, there is no cost period for anything. Until the, until the sale occurs. And then they just want just a little nibble, just 20 to 35% yeah, of, just a little. of the overall commission. Just a little. So okay. it's, it's a pay, which, pay per, for performance model. Yeah. Which is, I mean, you could say that's unfair, but you could also argue like that's the most fair because you're only paying if something happens. Um, and I think what would be interesting with this is I saw a meme the other day that a realtor put up and they were essentially they were it was a terrible one it was it was someone who doesn't know how to internet they were like you know each local mls has like their own search platform that's garbage usually right like it's not good mm-hmm. and for, everyone goes to zillow it was, it was kind of making fun of buyers like sending a zillow listing to their realtor and not uh, using their platform and uh-huh. it's like what do you you're making a meme on yourself like your your thing's horrible they're finding it on zillow anyways that's why zillow is zillow because usability's there the listings are there and that's what they want to use. They don't want to use this archaic platform that's homemade like in the mid two thousands that they're stuck with. Um, so a lot of things will go through Zillow. It seems like if I'm not sure exactly how the setup is exactly that to be an agent, all that's all those sorts of things, but yeah, 
that's a few dollars. I, I think the interesting 35%. thing is that um, right now, still, most builders are not begging for any additional lead volume, most. And all of this stuff, though, is hinting at, I mean, wh- why roll this out now? There's probably lots of reasons to be rolling it out now, but one in particular is that um, this overcomes the objection of maybe premier agents who would want to cancel because there's not enough listings in a particular area to drive enough leads. So now you can say, well, you don't have to pay us anything monthly anymore unless you sell a home uh, through this program. And then in the future, when in, when things are tough simply because of the market and there are a bunch of homes, then that's when companies and agents say, I don't really care what the cost is. I'll pay it because I need leads. Yeah. So it, it seems to be something that if you're going to try and they'll still it, have their the own, time. they'll sell their own sales without the 20 to 35% fee added on. Right. Well, I, the, I here, so, so here's one other thought I have, which is maybe this, because they're choosing particular agents to be part of the program who are going to be responsive. Maybe this also frees up Zillow to simply create more leads, changing calls to action, giving customers oh. uh, pro- different reasons to reach out. And then now no one's complaining in theory about getting overwhelmed because if you complain about being overwhelmed, they'll be like, Hey, that special invite we gave you to become a flex agent. We'd like to rescind that because there's this other person sitting there begging to be part of the program and we can nominate them to take it over. I could see them going like your missed call rate is too high. Like, I I guess my point is in this scenario, what, what is the downside for just like agents now want to register as many customers with a builder as possible in case they purchase yeah, What's to prevent guilty. Zillow or any platform in this type of scenario from just saying, you know, everyone who become who creates a Zillow account, who creates a profile, we're going to send them to you as a lead, because if they end up coming around, I don't know what the parameters are. This is this. I'm, I'm just speaking nonsense. Yeah. Eventually, point, like but. they make a save search with a certain price point in mm-hmm. a very specific area. Like for me, I have save searches all over the place, but they're like these three blocks, like things yeah. like that. And so, yeah. if something pops up, hey, this person is crazy. They have a bunch of save searches. You might want to talk to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then MikeDP.com, he has a great breakdown of it. Um, a little bit more pictures and everything, if you like yep. pictures. Yep. All right. Last one uh, for today from WallStreetJournal.com. Uh, homeowners are trying to block investors from scooping up properties to rent out. Suburban neighborhoods are trying to rewrite the rules as rental investors purchase purchase even more homes. And, you know, uh, Jesse, I think you were saying in our time before hitting the record button that online salespeople are getting a lot more calls these days from investors looking for properties. Yeah. I don't know if it's, you know, they had maybe the point of contact of somebody to reach out to directly who maybe was telling them like, look, we're at our cap for investors. We can't do this anymore. And they're, you know, like any other lead trying to get a different answer. Um, but I have heard consistently Um, that more investors are reaching out. Hey, do you allow investors in this community? Hey, how many units can I purchase? Um, And things like that. And even now from before sitting in the seat of online sales, we would have a set number of of lots that an investor could purchase. Um, And it's decreasing drastically from even that small number um, from what I can see. Yeah. And so before we get back to the article, I just want to stop and think think out loud about why is this happening overall? And it comes back to um, where, if you've got a couple billion or a couple million dollars, where are you going to put it in today's market? Well, you're not going to invest it in stocks right now. I mean, as recording today, I think the, the, the NASDAQ went down 1,200 points, 5% in a day. 
or over 5% in a day, that's not a real safe place to put all that money. Um, you're going to leave it in cash. Well, with inflation, that cash is worth less every day. So maybe you're not losing it in the stock market, but, or are you going to try to put it in real estate, especially, and this is, this is what I have a hunch is happening. We talk about consumers having urgency about locking in interest rates and, and buying a house before rates go up higher. Imagine investor urgency right now of I've got all this money and, and I need yeah. to find a place to put it and homes are the place housing is where, where I think is the best bet. And so because of that, and because there's not enough existing houses to buy available, um, what's happening is that these HOAs in suburban areas, and, and am I correct that one of the places mentioned in the article, Andrew is a, is a place that Becca on our team used to live. Did she say that? Um, she had a, I don't know if it's in the article, but she had a, the exact same scenario um, okay. at one of her communities. Like they changed the rules. I don't know if they increased the minimum rental length to be unattractive. Uh-huh. Um, like if it was like 24 months, which would be hard to get someone to commit, but kind of, I think they can do whatever you can do, whatever you want. H weights within the guidelines and statutes of the state, whatnot, or, or what it was. Um, but she mentioned that was a, that was an issue. Why, why I think this is really interesting. Well, there's lots of things to make it interesting, but the one that's most interesting to me is somewhat of this concept that renters must be bad. Yeah, that's strange to me. What is strange about that? I mean, I I, I don't know if if you uh, had this experience growing up, but I remember the um, the street that I grew up on. There was always this one or two homes that had terrible yards, broken down cars, and you're like, "What is up with that house? Oh, they're renters." But I have a feeling that was also in an age where HOAs didn't have the same kind of power that they do today. Yeah, or there was no HOA. Yeah. yeah or, or, the, or, or the HOA was really just designed to, you know, figure out what day was going to, where was the pancake breakfast going to be held on Memorial Day? Like for, for the community, like it was Sounds just good. different. Um, yeah. A lot of people that I interacted with at Builder 100 who are part of the rental market are like, we, we, we have, you know, staffs of people who their only job is to either get the lawn mowed or to, to basically harass their tenant until the lawn is mowed. Um, and they're like, this just isn't really a problem that, that we see. What's interesting is it's like this form of discrimination against renters in particular. And again, Tim Sullivan made a great point. You might have that bias that renters are bad until you know your firstborn child can't afford to buy a home and has to rent. <laughs> Yep. And then suddenly, maybe perspectives like, on oh, what renters are people. will shift when housing affordability starts impacting people in your own life. Especially, again, young kids coming out of school need a place to live. And, you know, I, I just thought that was a really interesting take on on just kind of the... Yeah, I agree. I mean, selfish people are selfish people, whether they buy or rent. I kind of put more of the responsibility on the landlord. Um, mm-hmm. Like if, you're rent, if your tenant is not taking care of the yard increase the rent and then have the lawn company, yeah. which is probably what you should have been doing anyways. And I think that's the, um, that's, that's if I think, which I would never be part of an HOA. I'm going to make that very clear. I don't uh, recommend it as a first anyway. spouse of someone on the board. <laughs> that's my title. Well, wouldn't it be smarter to say if you have a rental in this community and there are issues that the fines are tripled or something again, that would penalize like the that landlord or require lawn maintenance from like the, Community HOA, yeah, uh, maintenance something company that's, that's punitive to the landlord specifically versus saying renters can't be here because, because like you said, it's it's yep. Anyway, yeah, but I, yeah, it's this really, is a trend that we're seeing. Yeah. To me, it's it's um it's really the HOA. I put more responsibility on the HOA and the landlord. It's not like 
the rental, we have a renter across the street. They're paying crazy money um, mm-hmm. for it. Like double what we pay for our mortgage, mm-hmm. same size house. Um, so they got, they got plenty of cash flow. They're, they're doing good. They don't know that when they moved in, they don't know the rules of the place. They didn't move in and get like the documents. They don't know you can't park here, park there. It's not their fault. And you could educate them, but really that should have been the owner of the house and the HOA. Like, Hey, here's the quick sheet, one pager on like, here's the trash day, please do this. But they didn't know anything until they moved in and they own a brand new property down, down there. So yeah, it's on the people who set the rules more so than the people breaking them. Yeah. Okay. Uh, last thing we, we save any self-promotion uh, to the end, at least this oh, time we, we did. Do. Uh, November 8th through the 10th of this year, we have Ooh. the first ever in-person Market Proof Marketing Academy. So exciting. It's in Andrew's hometown. Uh, Sarah will be there. I will be there um, for at least part of it uh, as well. We suck them in. And it's in Tampa. Room, rumor has it. It's confirmed, but I, it sounds fun to say. Rumor has it some people have already bought tickets um, because they've been just the rumor. S- waiting for an in-person uh, marketing Academy. So you can go and join the VIP list. Um, but also tickets are, are going to be available very soon. And, and some of you have already snuck the line. So good job, but, uh, limited size. I mean, it's always limited because we want it to be intimate, but in this case, um, we're going to have fewer than, than 20 people there, uh, because that's the room size and everything, but we're not having more than 20. Yeah. Also, that was the other final thing on Builder 100. The number of people came up to me and said, is the online sales and marketing summit really sold out? I don't know, Jesse, can you please confirm to everyone that we are <laughs> believe you. beyond sold out for real? I can confirm with certainty that it is way more than sold out. <laughs> and I have people every day reaching out to me saying, hey, you got a ticket? And it's, Man. you know. Yeah, even the builders we, we work with, like I saw um, Nick Rhodes Shout out to you, Nick, if you, if you hear this episode, but, but he was talking about Kim on our team who was reaching, we were reaching out to some of our builders to make sure that they knew when this was happening, like a month before tickets launched. And he's like, yeah, Kim sent me like the sixth email and it just said, Nick, you have 10 hours (laughs) to get your ticket. (laughs) He's like, I forwarded it to my team and said, this probably isn't legit, but go ahead and grab your tickets. And I, I was like, it is more legit than you can imagine. I'm That's actually going to have to start dodging people who are getting a little more aggressive about like, give me a ticket. And there's, there's just, there are none to be had. So yeah. They're going to be on uh what's that? Where do you buy tickets secondhand? Oh uh, yeah. StubHub or whatever. Stub the, um, We're going to see them on there. So some more transparency there is we are going to be working with the venue to make sure the room layout with the projector and the stage and cause projectors have different throw distances and you can sometimes lose an extra 10 feet or 20 feet in a room, depending on that. As we get all that locked down, there is a chance that some additional tickets for those on the wait list may become available, but I, it really is sold out. All right. For published awesome. articles, blog posts, videos, and more, check out doyouconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and everywhere else we are online. We'll see you next week. See ya. Adios.